You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Jack Lewis. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, March 8th, 2023. Later in the program, we have Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment that directly impact residents of Monroe County. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, Slam the Scam Day on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment. More following today's feature, but first, your local headlines. On February 28th at the Bloomington Board of Public Works meeting, Engineering Department Senior Project Manager Roy Atten asked the board to approve a change order for the 7th Street Protected Bike Lane Project. Uh, This project was awarded on May 11, 2021 to milestone contractors in the amount of $2,572,455. The project constructed a protected bike lane along 7th Street from the Beeline Trail to uh, Woodlawn Avenue. There have been a total of eight change orders preceding this one for a final authorized contract amount of $2,662,250.65. This final change order will balance the final quantities of the project and result in a deduct of $192,095.69 for a final contract amount of $2,470,154.96. And this project was funded through our Bicentennial Bond 2018 series. He also asked them to approve change orders for the 17th Street Multi-Use Path East project. This project was awarded milestone contractors on April 12, 2022, in the amount of $1,192,901.58. This project installed a multi-use path on the north side of 17th Street from Walnut Avenue to uh, Grant Street. Change order number one this evening will add $25,453, and this was for additional work at the Red Restaurant, the corner of 17th and uh, Walnut. Uh, Change order two will also add $2,054.28, and this was for some additional curb work that we'd ask the contractor to do at the intersection of 17th and Grant. Pending approval of these change orders and funding approval through the Redevelopment Commission, the final contract price will be $1,220,408.86. The board approved both of the change orders unanimously. Next, project engineer Patrick Dierkis asked the board to approve a resolution for the public need to purchase right-of-way for the Adam Street Sideway project. The Adam Street Sidewalk project was a program through Council Sidewalk um, and uh, has been in design since 2021. Uh, We now have uh, approval for funding through Council Sidewalk and also through a community development block grant for $140,000. The sidewalk will, or the project will construct sidewalk on the west side of Adam Street from Kirkwood to Fountain. 
the existing right-of-way along that road is not sufficient to construct the sidewalk, so we need to purchase right-of-way from seven parcels. Uh, those seven parcels are detailed in uh, Appendix A of the packet. Um, ask the board to uh, support this resolution so we can proceed with the project. Board member Jennifer Lloyd asked about the size of the property the right-of-way would be. Deerkiss responded. Um, it's mostly slivers. Uh, so the, um, the road and the right-of-way are not exactly parallel. So it changes slightly as you go down the road. Um, it's in some areas uh, two feet and in other areas up to three feet uh, along the length of their property. Um, the temporary right-of-way is more extensive for grading or for uh, driveway reconstruction, um, but that is only temporary and uh, reverts back to the property owner at the end of the project. Um, and then uh, because we're moving the right-of-way closer to the buildings, this right-of-way uh, process is uh, costly um, because there's a consideration of damages as you get closer to uh, someone's front door, um, it moves them out of, uh, they would be a legal non-conforming building um, with the movement of the right-of-way, but uh, it would uh, prevent them from future expansion at least uh, towards that right-of-way. So there'd be uh, damages with that. The board voted to approve the resolution unanimously. The next Bloomington Board of Public Works meeting will be held on March 14th. During the February 25th meeting of the Monroe County Community School Corporation School Board, an MCCSC teacher spoke in support of a proposed racial equity policy during public comment. Hello, my name is Popo Yang Smith, and I am a teacher here in MCCSC. I am here today to speak up about the racial equity policy. Um, this policy was brought to us by students of MCCSC. They saw a need for this policy based on the experiences that they had here in our corporation. So as an educator, I believe that this policy is important in providing support for our marginalized students here in MCCSC. Our job is to support all of our students to the best of our abilities. And this racial equity policy is a step that we can take towards that. As a teacher here in MCCSC, I have had students come up to me and tell me that someone has called them the N-word or someone has made fun of them for the color of their skin or that the way that they speak. The things that these students are experiencing should not be tolerated in MCCSC, and this policy officially takes a stand against discrimination. It also provides me and other educators a guide of what we can do to support our students when they experience discrimination. If this policy is implemented in MCCSC, it will help all educators, administration, and staff to more effectively and confidently support our marginalized students. I urge our school board to implement this policy so we can show our students that we are there for them and that MCCSC is a place where everyone belongs. Thank you for your time. Then local resident Ruth Eit also spoke in favor of the racial equity policies facing the school board. I am here to speak in support of board policy 5518 and to thank all of those who have worked so diligently to develop the policy that will be voted on tonight. Through the NAACP, I heard from students who were speaking up against the racism they experience in our schools. The actions of these students challenged me, and I think many in our community, to publicly face these longstanding issues. Issues that are so familiar to many, but as we have heard, are often overlooked or discounted by people who look like me. The student voices led me to find out about the new Student Equity Ambassador Program 
and to learn about MCCSC's equity and diversity goals. The comments at recent board meetings gave me the opportunity to hear from others who have also experienced racism and who are dedicated to making things better. I believe it is important for our broader community to also be educated about these issues so that we can actively support the efforts to bring about change. The approach is taken to create the initial draft policy of draft of policy 5518, the delay in its adoption to allow time for suggested revisions, and other efforts to reduce disparities show a commitment by the current MCCSC administration and board to face and address these longstanding racial issues in a new way. I am hopeful that the updated anti-racism policy will ensure sustained progress, even if the current administration and board collectively wins the lottery and retires early. I believe the reporting requirements in the revised policy bring a level of transparency and communication that will allow me and others to remain informed and to actively support these crucial efforts to provide a racially safe environment in our schools. I'm confident and thankful that young people will continue to challenge all of us to be better listeners and to learn new ways of working so that we can face these issues together. Please approve board policy 5518 and thank you for the work you do. Next, president of the Monroe County branch of the NAACP, McQueeb Reese, supported the policy proposal, saying that's an important anti-racist initiative. It is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love each other and support each other. We have nothing to lose but our chain. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm McQueeb Reese, the NAACP Monroe County branch president. As stated as our national website, our mission is to achieve equity, political rights, and social inclusion by advancing policies and practices that expand human and civil rights, eliminate discrimination, and accelerate the well-being, education, and economic security of Black people and all persons of color. Thank you for the opportunity to infuse a community perspective on policy 5518. The Monroe County Branch NAACP School Subcommittee is grateful to play a role as co-creators in the work you and your esteemed colleagues have done and continue to work countless hours in your between your regular duties. We value, we value student engagement. Dr. Winston, thank you for your leadership and greatly appreciate all the things that you've done, champion um, thought activist leaders to support and cultivate a space for them to express their concerns. We appreciate the adoption of recommendation and agree to the guidance shared by your legal team. A vote of yes to this policy, 55118 anti-racism is important as we to have a critical lens as it relates to anti-racism while viewing various policies. This policy is robust, is a robust commitment that anti-racism should be thoughtfully considered in every action. The NAACP seeks to continue to work collaboratively to champion engagement within our community. My call to action, what we do next determines how long this policy lasts and does not fracture. I'll say that one more time. My call to action, what we do next determines how long this policy lasts and does not fracture. Yours in a fight of justice. Thank you. Superintendent Dr. Jeff Hoswald offered some background on the policy proposal to the members of the school board. 
Next is the second and final reading of policy 5518, anti-racism. At the January meeting, the board voted to suspend a final vote on policy 5518 after receiving a request from the Monroe County branch of the NAACP for an additional review. We received additional revisions and a final review has been completed on policy 5518. The racial equity policy passed by a unanimous vote. The next MCCSC meeting will happen on Tuesday, March 28th. This is Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment that directly impact residents of Monroe County. This month, we are looking into the housing crisis. Next month, we will address possible solutions. The lack of affordable housing in Bloomington leads to a higher risk that someone could experience homelessness. It can take months to find a new place in Bloomington. WFHB's very own general manager, Jar Turner, struggled to find a new place to rent in this competitive housing market. Back in March of 2022, his house was sold and the new owners didn't want to take on tenants. Turner realized that he had to be diligent if he was going to find somewhere to live in this town that was a good fit for him and was in his price range. In the beginning of March, I decided that I really needed to be really aggressive about a house because just prior to that, um, I had a house that I really wanted and it was just like gone. Mm -hmm. It was gone before it hit the market. It was gone before I had a sign on the yard. It just happened to be my neighborhood and I was walking by the house. By I was walking in the neighborhood and I walked by a house and I literally thought, why can't I just get a house like that? Like, it's very simple. It's actually kind of nice. It's like really nice. And I went home and just looked on Zillow randomly and that house was available. Mm -hmm. Like of all the houses, yeah, like you a know, I've never really, I don't really go around looking at houses. Like I want to rent that specific house mm -hmm. and it was available. And I immediately like, was like, oh wow. And so I put in a tour request and my 20 year old kid was at the house. And I was like, come check out this house. It's just like, it just so happens this house yeah. that I just walked by and randomly thought I want to live there is available for rent. So I had, uh, I was like, let's go, let's go see it. And then when we were like walking in the neighborhood and we were going to look at it, there were like cars parked all around. Immediately you're like, okay, this house is gone. They're showing the house right now as we speak. And sure enough, that was the case. It was available like it was gone that day. And that was like a gut punch. So I was like, all right, I gotta be really aggressive about this. I can't just like take it personally and like be emotional about it. I have to really make this a sport. And so I created a spreadsheet and uh, just contacted every house that fit my criteria. It had to have at least two bedrooms. It had to have uh, at least a thousand square feet, 1,200 preferably, and it had to be close enough to um, the downtown and to the university so that my partner and my kid who don't yeah. drive or have cars could 
either bus or walk. Turner attributed the lack of availability to the amount of land available in Bloomington and shared that he thinks the way forward is to build taller. Forrest Gilmore is the executive director of Beacon Incorporated, an anti-poverty organization that aids and empowers people experiencing extreme poverty, including hunger and homelessness. Gilmore said that the lack of affordable housing increases the chances that an individual can experience homelessness. I mean, it's, it's the number one reason that people experience homelessness is affordable housing and uh, being able to afford where we live, people being able to afford where they live. So, so yeah, 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah, equally so affordable housing and the ability, you know, being able to afford um, rent is a huge problem. One of the biggest gaps we have uh, for housing is for people experiencing what what we might describe as extreme poverty, people who, um, you know, have income at less than what's called 30 percent of our area median income and that we have almost no um, housing available uh, for people in that income bracket, um, that the, the price ranges are just too high. And uh, and so what ends up happening is people try and move into more expensive housing, um, and they either end up homeless, homeless or they end up uh, living in you know unsafe conditions or living doubled up or or just putting themselves financially at risk for a major, you know, uh, housing problem down the road. So, uh, so yes, absolutely. Um, getting houses uh, is incredibly difficult um, in our community. In our recent episodes, we shared that Keelan Walzer's experience having to move from a mold-infested rental. She shared that she lived with her mother until she found a new place to rent from. Her mother was her backup or safety net. Gilmore explained that a lot of individuals who end up at Beacon have used up their safety nets, and then they face the very real probability that they will become homeless. This may surprise some people, but most people experiencing homelessness don't come directly to the homeless service system uh, right away after losing their housing. They often, um, you know, have resources, they have family resources, they have financial resources, and they use those all up, friends' resources, they use those all up uh, as much as they can um, to keep themselves from becoming, uh, you know, from entering the shelter system or worse. And so um, so that's, that's really common. So by the time we see somebody, they often have been homeless for quite a while already, uh, and then they... Um, you know, are, are have exhausted many of their their resources, but that that safety net is often that first thing that people turn to when they become homeless, and we generally don't see people until that's gone. Gilmore shared that since he started doing this work a little over a decade ago, it has become harder and harder to get individuals back into housing due to the lack of affordable units available. One thing I'll, I'll just make note of is that you know I've been doing this work for about 13 years. Now, and when we started doing this work, we didn't have a lot of resources for people to um, help support their rent and sub- subsidize their rent when they were disabled or had trouble, you know, affording the rent. Um, but we could always find a place for someone to live. There was always, almost no matter what, there we could at least find some place to live if they could find the money to afford it. Now, 10, 13 years later, uh, 
we're in a very different situation where we, we are routinely unable to find housing for people at all, that there's just not enough. Even when we have financial support and, uh, for those folks, um, we don't even have enough money to, we don't have enough uh, housing to um, to actually support people uh, in the rate, in you know, in the price ranges that they need uh, to be able to live and succeed long term. So that's that's a significant change just in a, a little over a decade, um, and I think it's important to realize that 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 our community, uh, from a housing standpoint, is getting worse uh, substantially. And uh, despite all the conversation and talk about affordable housing and how important it is, the efforts that we're using as a community have not uh, turned the tide um, in a positive direction. It's actually getting getting worse. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I, I think there's a um, there's a common thing that happens in communities like ours uh, all across the country, and uh, with respect to homelessness, and that what happens is we tend to have um, uh, a well-educated, uh, fairly well-paid population that is very interested in the community, loves the community, wants to live here, um, buys up much of the housing, and um, and because their price, their salaries and income are quite good, um, the housing market tends to be um, really difficult for anyone who isn't being paid as well for them. We have that that population of well-paid, often well-educated folks often have a strong need for a population that is um, in the service industry. So um, things like restaurants and deliveries and, um, uh, gosh, just cleaning and maintenance and uh, things like that that actually don't pay as well. And so so there's a combination of people being paid very well that bumps up the prices of everything plus a, a, a strong need for kind of a service industry uh, population. Those two things combined create a really significant housing problem. And Bloomington's got that uh, in spades. One key factor about homelessness is that the odds are often stacked against individuals who experience it. Back in 2020, Noel Herhusky Schneider and Stephen Hunt interviewed Sean Bueller and Kirsten White who at the time worked at Beacon running the Monroe County Isolation Center. They provided insight into the reality of homelessness, how the systemic issue is, and how easy it can be to become homeless. Really, like, I just got to know people in my community who were unhoused, and um, I gained some really close friendships, and it was a really... um, I don't know, just I think it it really taught me at a really young age that homelessness is something that truly anyone can be affected by. Like there is no stereotype for it, really, um, when you take into account that 80 percent of the time someone's not experiencing chronic homelessness. They're experiencing um, all forms of homelessness that exist. If you really want to learn about the woes of American society, you can pretty much learn about all of them in your local homeless shelter because it's poverty, it's mental health, it's addiction, it's racism, sexism, uh, bigotry, all of that melting melts into this thing we call yeah. homelessness. And that those are that's just scrapes the surface. surface yeah. But it, when you're involved in it, you can learn about all of that and it gives you 
sort of a one-stop shop to a certain extent into really learning about a lot of the ways that America still is not great and have things that we all need to work on. Dr. Jill Pabble is a professor in the Interior Architecture and Design Program at Florida State University. Dr. Pabble is also the project lead for Design Resources for Homelessness, an online source for research-informed guidance regarding the design and construction of facilities for people experiencing homelessness. She explained how easy it is for someone to become homeless. I met, I met a woman once who lived in a shelter with her newborn child, and as I interviewed her, I came to find out she had just completed her law degree at Florida State University. And she was in the shelter because she had a falling out with her family and had nowhere else to go. And all she wanted to do was tape her diploma to the wall to remember what she used to experience. It's like, so with that moment, that was my, oh my gosh moment. You know, there's only two or three steps separating this person from me. And it can happen to just about anybody. I've met people that own 20 acres of land who are homeless. I've met movie directors who are homeless. Um, some well-known actors have been homeless. Um, Ellen DeGeneres, Kelsey Grammer, um, and others have been homeless. Sidney Poitier was homeless. Dr. Pavel noted that many societal factors can lead to homelessness. She said that society needs to rethink how to address this issue. You know, society doesn't change or turn on a dime, but I think we're starting to confront the fullness of the situation. Really, homelessness is kind of the culmination of so many societal ills, poverty, racial discrimination, violence you know, substance abuse, dependency, you know, all kinds of things sort of come and revolve around or a consequence of being homeless. So we've got a tough nut to crack here, but that doesn't make the need to do so any less. According to the National Low Income Housing Coalition, there's a shortage of more than 7 million affordable homes for the nation's 10.8 million extremely low income families. The NILHC says that there's not a state or county where a resident working full-time at a minimum wage job can afford a two-bedroom apartment. The Cough Society is an informational resource meant to reduce suffering related to homelessness. The resource explains that one of the root causes of homelessness is the lack of available low-income housing units. Because there is an insufficient amount of low-income housing units available in the United States, landlords can get away with upcharging rent prices. The paper written by homelessness expert Kyle J. Cassidy explains, quote, the housing market is based on supply and demand. The less supply of available affordable housing units in the area, the more landlords can get away with charging unaffordable costs because people have no other choice but to pay it, end quote. According to the Bloomington housing study done in 2022, if Bloomington continues to grow at a steady rate of 1%, the population will reach just over 90,000 by 2030. The housing study reported that Bloomington would need to construct an average of 236 units per year, totaling to an additional 2,592 units by 2030. Tune in next Wednesday at 5 p.m. for a deeper dive into Monroe County's housing crisis, where we will start to address possible solutions. Also, keep an eye out for Limestone Post's next article, which will be available on their website on March 15th. Up next, Slam the Scam Day on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more. 
Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. It's holiday time again, and this time it's for all of us, no matter what your age or beliefs. This is National Consumer Protection Week, and March 9th has been named Slam the Scam Day by the Social Security Administration. They're making a big deal of this because losses from Social Security scams have skyrocketed from less than $200,000 in 2017 to over $45 million last year. If you do a quick search online for Slam the Scam Day, you'll find their website and others with a lot of excellent information for you, and not just for senior citizens. This is not an occasion for trees or candles or seasonal carols like, I'll be glad when you're dead, you rascal you. The way we celebrate this holiday is by decorating people's minds with ways to recognize, avoid, and slam scams of any kind. I'll open the box, and you see if you can hang at least a couple of these lovely ideas in other minds this week. The hook to hang them all on is that first approach, when somebody contacts you from out of the blue, no matter how they do it, and... They claim to be a part of some organization you recognize, a government agency or your bank, your church, a company you do business with, a local charity, a famous airline. It could be anything. But you know the organization is real, so you think they might be for real. They tell you there's a problem and maybe even threaten you, or else they offer you a prize, money or a cut in your expenses or something that sounds like it's worth something. It's always one or the other. Make you afraid or hope you'll be greedy. They want you to act quickly for some important reason. Maybe there's a deadline. Maybe this is your only chance. Maybe it's just a friendly, I can take care of everything for you right now. They never want to give you time to check on them or even think about it. And, of course, they want money paid in some specific way, an unusual way. Any kind of prepaid money card or gift card or in cash or cryptocurrency or through some service like wire transfer which cannot be reversed. They've even suckered some poor fools into moving their entire bank accounts into a protected account. <laughs> it's protected, all right, protected against you getting it back. Remember, the scammers use all kinds of media to put the touch on you. Telephone calls, emails, text messages, letters in the mail, and social media. Social media has become a major highway for the fraudsters, and the Social Security website has some great information on how to stay safe out there. So, happy National Consumer Protection Week! and have fun decorating other minds, especially your friends and family. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at wfhb.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break.
Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhushki Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young and Noel Herhushki Schneider. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. And I'm Jack Lewis. Thank you for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. And stay tuned for Hereabouts Asian American Midwest Radio, coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 